we specialize in die-cast metal miniature gun models that you didn't know you've been looking for, called GOAT guns. Bah! Yes, GOAT. They are the greatest of all time gun models you can display on your desk, buy, build, and collect them. We offer a 90-day return policy if you don't love yours. Start your collection at GOATGUNS.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My guest this week is the Conservative MP for Crew in Nantwich and member of the House of Commons Justice Select Committee, Dr. Kieran Mullen. Kieran, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So the government announced what levelling up finally looks like last week through a brand new white paper. What do you make of the announcements made by Michael Gove? Well, I think the important thing for people to know is that um, actually this work has been going on, going on uh, for a couple of years now. Um, obviously, white paper is important and I'll go on to why it is important. But I, I know in my area, for example, in Crew and Nantwich, we've already seen what levelling up means. So, for example, we have what's called a town deal for Crew, which is £22.9 million, which we've put towards or are putting towards 10 projects in the town that are about reinvigorating the town and, and, and securing its longevity. We've also had £14 million for, for what's called the Future High Streets, which is doing similar stuff, reinvigorating bits of the town that have fallen into disuse or aren't being used to their best possible benefit. And then another announcement relatively recently for us, uh, we have a, an amazing college in, in Croonantwich, South Cheshire College, and they've been named and funded to become what's known as an Institute of Technology, uh, which is giving them extra money to, to really ramp up that adult skills and that technical skill stuff. So there's been lots going on around the levelling up agenda and and, and there are other things that happen at a national level, which to my mind are part of the levelling up agenda. If you think about things like crime and policing, we know that left behind areas and the people that live there suffer disproportionately from antisocial behaviour and those types of things can actually be disrupted to levelling up. So that when it comes to things like more police officers, that, that helps them. School funding, uh, Cheshire East as an authority is one of those areas that hasn't historically had as much per pupil funding as other areas and we've seen that go up so there's, it runs through many strands of what the government does and even though it's not labeled directly as leveling up actually leveling up is across government what the strategy is about to my mind is really embedding it as a long-term uh, ambition of government you know and actually settling it in so it's beyond any one particular government or any one particular prime minister it's about this long-term vision for how you change how the country thinks about itself and how it spends its money um, and, and that's why those longer term targets around health outcomes public transport all sorts of different things they're about making it a longer term ambition and, and, and Michael Grove is really good at pulling together disparate ideas into this comprehensive idea of what it looks like and he's done that with the white paper and i think a really effective way very big ambitions bold ambitions mm. uh, not easy to meet but that again is typical of michael gove to say well actually what, what do we want to achieve and put those kind of bold ambitions in place so you've mentioned there some of the things that were outlined in in the white paper now 
on on this show in the past, I've spoken to a number of Conservative MPs and colleagues of yours, and each one of them has given me previously a different definition of what levelling up has, has meant. So now that we've actually got some meat on the bones of levelling up, what does it mean to you? Well, I think the, the, the core change in the machinery of government that underpins all this um, is is really we've got ourselves into a vicious cycle when it because what happens is we have a you know we have 10 pounds of government money to spend and the government quite rightly looks at where do we get the most value for money on spending that 10 pounds and obviously well-off areas very very productive areas like london the southeast if you spend 10 pounds there you will get more money back than if you spend 10 pounds in a less well-developed area and whilst on a each individual decision basis that might make sense what you end up doing is reinforcing that structural inequality in the country if you just look at it in that really really stark terms and and the big task for, for us as a government which we've started to do and has some what the treasury does is actually to say well, what's the bigger picture of that spending and what inequalities are we embedding if we carry on just thinking about it in those terms so i think really in a political kind of geeky type of way that's the change i think of mindset of government to get it to do thinking not solely about what's the best return on each individual pound we spend but actually what's the bigger picture of how we in the longer term spread wealth and spread the, the use of taxpayers money the narrative about that is actually and boris talks about this very powerfully about you know, talent and 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 skill and ambition are spread evenly across the country but because of what i've just talked about opportunity isn't always and actually you know that shouldn't hold you back uh, if you're talented if you're hardworking, if you're ambitious you should be able to get on just as much in a town like crew on nantwich or even some of the villages in my area as you are living in a big city like london or birmingham so much of leveling up has been about really bringing power to northern constituencies and uh, parts of the midlands as well that have been left behind by other governments and much of this is economic as you say and most of the the wealth generated in this country is from london and the southeast and it's absolutely right that we shift that balance to, towards the north to make it more uh, equal and fair regionally. But how is that being done without compromising what's being done in London and the southeast? Because, the, of course, like many areas, there are real pockets of deprivation and ma- massive levels of inequality there. So how is levelling up being done so that it doesn't l- end up leaving those areas behind in favour of areas in the north or the midlands like, like yours? Yeah. It's a really good point. And, and, and to say, you know, we talk about the North and the Midlands a lot when it comes to leveling up. You've said, as you've said, even in big cities, there are pockets of, of deprivation. And it, actually in the Southwest as well, there's some really real challenges with deprivation in the Southwest, uh, Wales, Northern Ireland. Yeah, so it is a pan country issue. And I think you need a mix. So I think, you know, these national ambitions and national programs have a role to play. But actually, if you look at the kind of stuff that I've been involved with, it's actually quite hyper local decision so a crew town deal that's a deal for a town and actually some of the focus we see in local government is around wards individual wards i'm part of something called the left behind neighborhoods or party parliamentary group and uh they're setting up a whole series of they they encourage government to think about things in a ward-based way and for for your listeners that don't understand when you have your local authority your local council it's broken down into what we call wards um, and they're the kind of the smallest unit really of a significant government so i think i think it's um, having a mixture of different things things that are national but actually hyper local projects and for example in the crew town deal when we're making our case to government to get that money the onus is on us is to talk about the wards 
and the deprivation in individual wards. Um, and, and we have seen that in 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 Cheshire East as an area is quite is 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 relatively affluent. Cheshire is relatively affluent. It hasn't stopped the government for from supporting crew as a, as it recognises it's a pocket with challenges, and, and they need to have that men's mindset across the country. And on local government, much of the plans for levelling up is around devolution and bringing power closer to to people in in local communities. And one of the ways Michael Gove set out doing this is to have more devolution deals that create metro mayors or even in some cases creating these new governors, which is a bit American for my liking. But uh, it's a, a good point to say that it is vital to have regional leaders who are the the flag bearer, if you like, for the, those areas they're representing. But do you think in some ways that's just going to create another layer of bureaucracy in what's already a very messy system in local government? I'm keen on the idea that it's a one-size-fits-all approach um, uh, because I think mayors are fantastic in certain circumstances and, you know, the big cities, the big metropolitan areas, I think they really do have a, a purpose. Um, going back to what I said before about how these challenges are hyper-local, I think you have to be careful that, that actually aggregating things. I'm never a fan of adding a layer of bureaucracy to, to stuff. And actually, I think we've seen with the town deals and other initiatives that MPs can do a really good job of advocating for their um, for their patch and coming together on certain things. So I, I, I'm I'm not so keen on saying that you have to have a, a you know another layer of bureaucracy to, to get in on the action, so to speak, when it comes to devolved decision making. And, and I, I think we should be able to have devolution deals within existing structures. And I think local authorities and them what are called local enterprise partnerships, LEPs for short, they're the business voice and they're supposed to drive enterprise and growth in business. They could come together to put forward deals, and, and I think government should be um, just as open to supporting devolution deals for those types of situations too. I'm not so keen on creating mayors everywhere. I I don't think it's necessary. And another thing that was mentioned was increasing the amount of government departments that's being moved out of Whitehall and into other areas. Uh, And already there's the uh, Treasury's opened a campus in Darlington. Uh, The department for what's now levelling up housing and communities is in Wolverhampton. There's lots of others planned. But again, do you think this is actually going to make a real tangible difference to to these areas or is it simply just a symbolic gesture no i think you know it really does make a difference if you're living and working in the in these areas and, and i i know that from direct experience so i i grew up in birmingham i went to university in leeds so i'd always lived in a uh, a, a city and um living in crew nantwich i've seen the difference on things like bus services and until you live that and feel that i don't think you really kind of take it on board in that deeper way which you do if it's a first-hand experience so i think it, it is actually important that we don't just have our government departments run by people who live and work in big cities i think that gives them a, a you know, reduces their perspective, reduces their experiences down to those types of areas. And actually the key thing to watch is um, it's not enough actually just to move some people out. You you need the seniority of people in in these areas. I think too often when it has come to government departments being elsewhere, from talking to people too often, it might be the most junior people within a department only who go out to those areas and actually you need, whilst they might go on to become more senior and have that experience, we want the whole breadth of decision makers living and working in towns and cities. So no, I don't think it is a, just a gesture. And, and actually don't forget, it's also about employment opportunities, making it easier for people to have employment opportunities. We, we don't want to 
for it to be that the only way you can get on in the civil service, for example, is to move to London or move to one of the big cities. You know, that, that can't be right. And whilst, of course, you know, London's our capital, it's where our parliament is, there's always going to be additional opportunities there. And we can't over exaggerate the extent to which opportunity can be entirely universal. I think we can do a lot better and moving some of these departments out is a good start. And for example, locally, Great British Railways headquarters, crew is all guns blazing when it's coming to try and win that that bid because it's part of our heritage of the railways there's another example of where you get those jobs spread and that ambition and that prestige as well that comes from having those types of things in your town absolutely and just on the railways for, for a moment connectivity across the country is very poor at the moment and this is something that's really crucial to to leveling up now hs2 has been a real political hot potato over the last few years i know it's going to come through crew where where you are do you think HS2 is actually the right thing to do in getting high-speed rail across the country and increasing connectivity? Or is it actually better to save some money and use the funds allocated to just renovate existing lines and improve services that are already there? I think it's both, actually. I think you need both. When it comes to HS2, um, what, what I think has been an historic mistake about HS2 is to make it, I mean, it's in the title, isn't it? High Speed 2, to make people think that it's about getting from London to Birmingham or London to Manchester quicker. And whilst it, it will do that, the, the main reason we are having a new railway line built is because the existing line, the West Coast Main Line, is, is completely packed. It's the, prior to the pandemic, it was the busiest mixed-use railway line, so passengers and freight, in all of Europe. And you know, as the MP for the area, that was one of the first big decisions I had to make. Did I or didn't I support the railway line, HS2? And I decided decided on the basis of knocking on doors and speaking to people who worked locally in the railway industry, of which there are many people who just said, it's a no-brainer, we absolutely need a new line, that line can't take anymore. So that's the first thing to say, it's about capacity more than anything else. And capacity on the main line then helps address capacity and problems in the surrounding area, because at the moment, the local journeys, the freight journeys, the, the intercity traffic, they've all got to make do with this one very 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 busy line and so you're competing the whole time for time on the line for journey space hs2 will get those big intercity journeys off the west coast main line and then you should see more increased local journeys and not just increasing them but they'll be more reliable because at the moment the line's so congested if you get a delay in one part of the line the ripple effect it causes congestion all over the place again if there's a bit more capacity it's all, all a bit more relaxed that that should happen less so i think that's the thing to understand about HS2. It's about capacity. And then, as you say, it isn't just about HS2. It's about the interconnections across the across the area. And, and let's not underestimate the amount of money that's also being spent on that. So the total package of money is something like £98 billion across the high-speed and the non-high-speed investment. That is a major, major, major investment in our in our railway lines. And, and so I think people will see the difference when it comes to those, those local routes too. It, it's not on my patch, but I know across the country, there are the beaching reversals, as they're called. So beaching is this historic closure of railway lines. Lots of those lines are being reopened. New stations are being built. Old stations are being reopened. So I think it's about having, having all of it. And again, why is that important? I think for me, it's because, again, young people in my area, I think they will, they, you know, to get those extra job opportunities, they might feel like they've got to move to Manchester and they've got to move to Birmingham and they've got to move to London. If you can get those journey times down, get that to kind of less than 30 minutes, which is what HS2 does, you can get to, to Birmingham in 25 minutes, say, when it's running. Then it's very, very realistic for you to stay living in Crewe, to stay living in Nantwich and have your job in Birmingham. And so we don't have this brain drain of young people who can only get on by moving to the big cities. 
the job opportunities will be there for them still if some of them are unique to the big cities, but they can stay living in their local area, spending in their local area, being with their friends and family. Particularly for young people, just on, on job opportunities, throughout the, the pandemic and various lockdowns, young people have been really adversely affected throughout all this through l- countless hours of lost education, so many job opportunities, work experience, internships, things like that. They, they've all, almost disappeared as a result of the changed economy that we, we find ourselves in. So what's actually available now for young people who, as, as you say, we don't want them just going to the the closest big city to try and find a job. There has to be something locally and opportunities locally, but other than the traditional routes and now that we've, we're in this new situation, what what's available for them after what's been such a challenging two years? Yeah. Uh, not to that, but I definitely agree. It's been really difficult for young people. Um, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to downplay that, but I think one of the things we should recognise actually we've done as a country remarkably well when it comes to jobs and employment considering everything that's gone on and compared to many many other countries some of the youth unemployment rates in some of our European neighbours are really quite high whilst we're, we've done pretty well and one of the big things that the government did which I was a huge supporter of and got involved in delivering locally was the kickstart scheme where the government essentially paid employers to employ young people who'd struggled to, to find work on placements and I, I met with young people in my area that were on the kickstart scheme that had jobs and it was really amazing for keeping them in employment. Now, it wasn't a guaranteed job at the end of it, but most people I spoke to, the employer took them on with every intention of turning it into a sustained job afterwards. I and mean, I think the bigger picture here really is about getting people away from the idea that to be successful as a young person, to have a career, you have to go off to a university in a big city. And I think that is the, the big change. University is great. I went to university to study as a doctor and there's just so many things that, you know, you still do need to go to university for. But there are so many opportunities for things like apprenticeships, uh, big support of apprenticeships. We had a dinner this week in Parliament to back some young apprenticeships and we had seven or eight people young not all young actually to be fair but a lot of young people who were apprentices talking about what it did for them how you know they're out there earning and learning while their friends are kind of struggling with debt at university and really don't feel like they're being productive so I think it's about apprenticeships being really pushed and being this opportunity that everyone gets to hear about I'm afraid it's not great at the moment when it comes to schools telling their children about apprenticeships because actually they want to get their kids off to university because that's still how we traditionally say a school successful so I want every young person to know about apprenticeships and have those opportunities put forward to them and then before that it's about actually the qualifications that you get at school that are just needing we need them to be more applicable to the world of work to give people those working opportunities so that's why I really support the what I call the t-levels the new qualifications that are focused on vocational qualifications that mean that people are set up to, to to get great jobs and then you know that's kind of from the bottom up and then from the top down is the stuff we've talked about before about government locations being moved and making it easy for people to get to job opportunities and you hope the two come together to just make it all a lot more accessible for young people whatever the path they want to take of course the the other issue that's affecting not just young people but well everyone really is the the issues currently with the cost of living there are some major issues around that there's the uh, 1.25% increase in the national insurance rate there's uh, to to pay for the health and social care there's the new uh, loan that the Chancellor's calling it, that's essentially a compulsory levy on energy bills to try and offset some of the prices there. So when there are these issues, and of course, food prices as well have uh, skyrocketed recently, the, the, the cost of the big shop has gone up so much in recent times. So again, how 
how is the government able to really level up and bring everyone up together when there are these issues which really can only increase the economic divisions within society? Yeah, I mean, the first thing um, I'd, I'd say is I, I absolutely recognise the difficulties those mm-hmm. things are going to cause people um, and are causing people. And I do as much work as I can locally to make people aware of the, the various pots of money you can get access to if, you ha- if you're experiencing hardship. But, you know, one of the reasons I'm a conservative and we often don't talk about kind of big ideas in politics is as much as I might want the government to be able to kind of neutralise any negative impacts on people's lives, the government can't always fix everything for everybody. So when it comes to things like um, fuel prices, that's a, that's a global issue that is affecting the world. Inflation is, as, is what we're alluding to is, again, is a global issue affecting the world because we've had a lockdown, we've had economic depression, economic activities gone down and then the kind of the economy bursts back and costs are up and, and that that we're all experiencing that and then again the government's had to spend a lot of money a huge amount of money 400 billion pounds over the last couple of years getting us through the the pandemic so it doesn't have you know that the same levers and when it comes to money that it might ordinarily have because it's had to spend a lot of money so i don't think we should be telling people you know, you're just going to experience this without any pain because actually that's not realistic. And, um, you know, I think people actually understand when politicians are a bit more frank with them and say, actually, yeah, it's going to be a difficult time. And we, you know, a lot of us will experience tightening of our, of our, of our, of our wallets. And of course people will say, you know, you're an MP, you're an X amount of money, you you know, you'll get through it just fine. But so many of the new conservative MPs in parliament, I'm, proud to be alongside them because we're actually a lot of us come from normal backgrounds so i know what it was like to have part-time jobs minimum wage jobs and you know i'm i'm not i'm not separate from from ordinary people and, and the financial pressures they face so i just want to make that point that you know i'm afraid we can't neutralize all the negative effects of, of what's going on with the pandemic economically having said that um i think we have to ensure that we are striking the right balance particularly for example when it comes to green energy stuff so a lot of what we not a lot but a significant amount of what we're paying towards um going green is done through levies on our bills um you know going green is really really important net zero is really really important but you know six twelve months um when we're having real difficulties do we need to think about them again i know the government hasn't so far expressed an appetite for that but i know that's what concerns a lot of my colleagues and i think bill payers I know young people are really passionate about green um, initiatives, but again, it's that harsh realization that, well, uh, you know, going green isn't free. You have to pay for it. You have to pay for new, new, um, new services, new investments in new industries, training for people to do things differently, investment in companies. It all costs money. Um, locally, I've seen, as I said, generally speaking, I think the systems have responded quite well. So we have local authority helping people if they're in hardship. We have seen things like the universal credit taper for people on universal credit who are working. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm at the point where I just want to see how we get on. And, and actually, I'm open to the idea that government might have to do more um, if, if things, you know, if the steps it's taken so far aren't enough. But as I said, it, you know, we, I'm afraid we can't just click our fingers and magic away some of these economic challenges. Uh, no, I, I do agree with that. You know, I've sort of come from a free market economic uh, background and tradition. So I, I do agree that whilst the government's not there to do everything, there is certainly a place for it. But I'd, I'd like to move yeah. away from levelling up and cost of living for a moment and just ask you briefly about some of the, the issues the Prime Minister's faced in, in recent weeks. He's had a real tough time with it from the, the 
Sue Gray reporting to parties and a variety of, of other issues. Does the Prime Minister still enjoy your support? Well, I know why people have been really angry about the stuff that we've seen in terms of Downing Street and the gatherings that have um, gone on. Uh, I, I helped as a doctor on the front line during the pandemic and I saw how hard staff were working and you know how careful they were when they were at work to, for example, not be together at lunch and all these things. So, And I've heard from so many people who maybe didn't go to the funeral of a loved one, maybe didn't even see a loved one again after they went off into the hospital. So I really understand how angry people are and certainly um, i've made it clear to government that i'm not i'm not giving kind of unqualified support to what's gone on i'm not willing to do that um i'm in the position of being able to say well actually we're going to find out a lot more about what went on exactly whether that's the full report that the government's ordered that sue gray report people might have heard about because we've only had a snippet of that really and the police investigation so i've made it clear to government that i'm going to wait for those um those reports before I say publicly, you know, how I feel about everything that's gone on, but that's certainly not condoning what's gone on, certainly not saying it's okay, the opposite really. But, you know, this isn't voting somebody off Love Island or a reality TV show. We're talking about the Prime Minister of a country and these are very, very important big decisions. And if I can wait for more information, um, then I'm going to do that. And this week, the Prime Minister reshuffled his top team. He's brought in a a whole new set of advisors. He's changed some of the people who are in his cabinet and in other junior ministerial positions. Again, do you think that's enough to bring a new commitment to the the mission of this government? Again, in in levelling up and as suppose in Jacob Rees-Mogg's case, finding these Brexit opportunities as his job now is. Is that enough to try and get this government back on track? Well, I think those are the necessaries. At the, at the very least, we have to do those things and make changes to the team, get the right people in the right jobs. Um, whether that's enough, I think time will tell. You know, I, I think we shouldn't underplay what this government's achieved already uh, when it comes, and the Prime Minister's obviously had an incredibly important role in that when it comes to um, exiting the EU, which we kind of take for granted now, but actually, you know, I was extremely worried about what happened to our country if a democratic vote was essentially overturned when it comes to the surviving the, the worst parts of the pandemic, getting decisions right on the, on the vaccines. There are things we take for granted now, but let's not forget the Prime Minister was heavily criticised for not going in with the rest of the EU when it came to the initial vaccine ordering and going our own way. And actually that turned out to be a brilliant decision. We had the decision over Christmas just gone about the lockdown. Again, that was a very, very difficult balanced decision. You know, I was open-minded. I, I felt that, you know, it would be reasonable to have locked down, but also there was a case we made for not doing it. The Prime Minister took that big decision, again, to some heavy criticism. And actually it turned out, I think, largely to have been the, the right decision. So on some of these big calls on setting the narrative around levelling up and getting behind all the departments of government to deliver it, we're on the right track. But to really, really deliver, now we're moving out of the pandemic. I think people fairly were giving us a... You know, they're giving us, they were understanding that we were having to deal with the pandemic as a big, big, big issue. And so they weren't necessarily expecting us to be delivering at the top of our game across all the other areas. But as we come out of that, they're going to want to see us delivering on the top of our game and we should be doing that. And so these sorts of changes are the minimum. Of course, what we want to see is results. And I want to see results. The public want to see results. So j- just to finish then, to bring our conversation back to levelling up, this is what the Prime Minister has staked his entire premiership on. Do you think what he has set out in this white paper and what will be developed over the next few months and a few years is enough to, for him to go into the next election, be it 2023 or 2024, and win another big majority? I think as, um, you know, depending on what on the outcomes of the various inquiries in terms of people's judgment on um, 
and whether you know they they accept in on balance that the prime minister was had, had what what prime minister has done is not sufficient to say actually you know we don't want to be our prime minister i think it will be judged on results and i think if people see that difference in their day-to-day lives if they see better bus services and train services if they see their local high streets reinvigorated if they see their their relatives their young relatives and you know your listeners having opportunities getting new jobs doing well in the jobs market if our economy's doing well absolutely people will, will give us as the conservatives another chance um i'm sure because actually uh, the the parties the Conservative Party is never, ever a single person. It's about what our mission is for the country as a whole and a whole team of us. And I'm I'm sure the team, um, including the Prime Minister, are determined to deliver. Okay, Dr. Kieran Mullen, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.